is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington, where I have just finished a dinner. It was made by Chipotle. I am one of your hosts. My name is Tim Kilkenny. <laughs> and uh, from Hood River, Oregon, where I just finished off uh, the last slice of birthday pie, I'm Andrew Hoffman. Birthday pie. I love your household already. Can I? <laughs> when can I come over? Birthday pie. Doing Doing birthdays the right way. Yeah. Before anybody asks us, no, we don't do native ads, and we're not. Uh, we definitely don't have the uh, the money to show for doing a native ad. But if you don't know why I mentioned that we ate at Chipotle, go to the last episode. Yeah, listen to last week's episode, episode one seventy one, titled "Runny Guacamole," which is a <laughs> decent title, I think. It was in reference to your Baja Fresh comments. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, last 30 minutes at work, I was uh, watching, I watched half Fox News, half CNN. So I'm 100% brain dead. All right. 50% Fox News, 50% CNN, 100% brain dead. Ready to go. The New Hampshire primaries. Woo! Woo! Man, if I would have known that it was the New Hampshire pri- primaries, I would have shaved. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a, it's, I mean, it's, it's in a historic day. I would have flown out to New Hampshire to vote for John Kasich. John Kasich! That's what I'm talking about. But before we get there, let's go backwards in time. Two days to the Super Bowl, or as they say it on the internet, the Superb Owl. Yes. Um, I I refuse to call it sports ball. Like all my condescending non-sporty people, it's great. It's, gr- it's great that you uh, don't like sports. Doesn't make you smarter than me, so please don't call it sports ball. Doesn't that come from The Simpsons? I don't know what it comes from, but it's become oh. a thing. I got, yeah, I, got a couple, I, know. I know. I got a couple people I, 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 I'm friends with or acquaintances with, maybe maybe even coworkers with, who, who refer to it as sports ball, and then this high and mighty kind of condescending attitude that comes along with it. That's great. You don't like sports. I totally get it. I don't judge you for not liking sports i mean i'm not like hey who's the who's the pansy over there doesn't even like football do you hear me (laughs) saying that no but you got to come over here and tell me how's the sports ball doing (laughs) (laughs) i did have to explain to my daughter that being an american means you watch the super bowl (laughs) no mommy can't read you a book right now watching the super bowl can you just do that? I'm going to ISO that put at the end of the show. Being an American. Being American means watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, Mommy cannot read you a book right now. And, it's glorious. See, the, the great thing is, uh, when my wife met me, she'd never watched a football game in her life. And now, like, she gets upset if she can't watch every minute of the Seahawks game. So. <laughs> I think my wife has taken a uh, similar turn, as we've discussed. But Seahawks not in the Super Bowl two days ago. 
It was it, yeah. it was the Denver Broncos that wiped the smile off Cam Newton's face. At yes. least someone did it. Yes. So that defense really was that good. They really were that good. To do it to the Patriots and the Panthers back to back weeks. It was yes. impressive. Yes. Von Miller uh past Failed drug tests aside, he found the good stuff now. <laughs> did he? Oh, did he? I didn't. I didn't. I forgot. Did he do some time suspension for four game suspension for PEDs? Uh oh, I did not know. Uh, I mean, I did. I think I forgot. So, uh, but let's talk about the Super Bowl from a production standpoint. We've done even reviews of the Super Bowl. Talked about Madonna and her her pyramids and Beyonce and her pyramids and, and all this other stuff. I was pleasantly surprised. I watched the entire Super Bowl halftime show and really saw very minimal occult references. Yourself, sir? Um, I think usually we don't watch the halftime show. I think that's what happened last few right. times. I mean, I, I, I kind of tried to actually, but... Man, Coldplay is just so boring. It's cold, yeah, cold. <laughs> so That's what somebody on Twitter said. Or it wasn't on Twitter. I think it was on Reddit. But right when the first half ended, it's like, who's ready for some mild rock? <laughs> <laughs> so I did watch that with my wife. And uh, it was a pretty decent performance. Um, one thing I would know on a, from a production standpoint, and gosh, I'm talking about the pot calling the kettle black here. I thought the audio quality of the Super Bowl was atrocious. Mm. It was bad. CBS, yeah. It was bad. I mean, the halftime oh, for the for the halftime show. Halftime show, people were mic'd up weird, and then the Woo guy. Remember, have you heard have you, the famous Woo guy? Have you are you familiar with this? Uh, okay, he, he, I'm going to address I mean, everyone's. There, there sub, was, I'm going to address was, everyone's subconscious right now. Okay, and tell everyone that you do know who the Woo guy is. You just may not know of who I speak consciously. But okay. there was a person at the Super Bowl <laughs> near a microphone who just yelled "woo" over okay. and over and over <laughs> and over and over and over, and it, it's it's famous. I mean, it's on the internet, it's a different, couple of different places. And I bet you there are at least a couple people in our do audience you, who are going, I, "I I know I heard something." Do you know that you could have bet on Left Shark showing up? Uh, this year's halftime show? I did not. Actually, I did know that. I knew that. And you could also bet on the over-under for uh, Gaga's uh, national anthem length, which she did yeah. a pretty decent job. I was did, did really we talk excited about the, that she wasn't dressed as a meat puppet. But. I think I just brought this up to to my wife before the Super Bowl, but you could bet on um, Mike Carey... Getting it wrong. Getting, getting it wrong. And he definitely and I said, it's totally going to happen. He gets it wrong every, every time they time. ask him. And sure enough, first call. And I think this is going to be reversed I, as a completed pass. Yeah. I go, oh, that's incomplete before they go to him. Me, me too. But, I, said, uh, I said incomplete too. Or he goes, oh, yeah, that's incomplete. They come back from commercial break. So he's had a whole two minutes to look at it. And he says, yeah, they're going to win this challenge. This is a great challenge. Uh, it's definitely a completed pass. <laughs> and sure enough, I'm like, yes, he's going to be wrong. He's going to be wrong. Watch it. And sure enough, wrong. And he, they did not go back to him the entire rest of the game. 
I think he refused. I think he was so humiliated. <laughs> he is wrong every single time. He, it's he's like, just showing that he was kiss of he death. Must have if been you, like if, the if, worst referee in football history. Yeah, kiss of death. If he uh, takes takes the uh, <laughs> takes takes the challenge against your team, you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, valid point. Uh, again. I didn't see a lot of cult references, no pyramids, no anything, which was a pleasant surprise. I did see him. I can't remember what commercial. LG, of all commercials. I did see the occult references in the LG commercial. Uh, very strange commercial. I can't remember who's the main speaker, but uh, they got a decade. They're just going, just talking about. It was one of those ones where you can't figure out what the heck they're even talking about for, mm. for a good 10, 20 seconds. And it's this man, very dramatic, you know, dressed very well, and he's holding this deck of cards and flips over the back of the deck of cards, and it's a serpent eating its own tail. Hmm. Yeah, I was like, well, there you go. That's a there's your occult reference, ladies and gentlemen. So, not quite as good as trying to sell the the uh, uh, trying to sell Satan a thirty or Satan trying to sell a guy a thirty thousand dollar Mercedes from a couple of years back. Oh yeah, still. Yeah. Still up there, so I don't know. Pleasantly surprised about that outcome of the game. Cam was had the smile wiped off his face. I've never really been a Broncos fan, but you know, ah, eh, it felt like the good guy won in a way for some strange reason in that game. So I'm all good with that. As well as we have a, apparently a listener there in the Colorado area <laughs> who definitely wanted us to know, hey, the uh, the Broncos won. So uh, hey, yeah, t- tip of the cap. Hey, to- if it makes you. Celebrate by giving money to the show. That's right. And that person's that person's Super Bowl uh, excitement, where he donated to the show. Of course, we'll go to the Andrew Hoffman Medical Fund. We we should I should check on the Andrew Hoffman Medical Fund. See where where we are sitting at out of the five thousand dollars that you're having to pay. But anyway, so, uh, so before we, um, I've got two. Please, Cam Newtons. Let's go. I'm ready. All right, so go to the NFL Facebook Two Cam there. Newtons is too, too many. Hey, Cam, I have that last fumble there. Did, did, have you gone over that play in your mind, and, and if you could have done anything different? What, what, you, what would you want me to do? People are saying that you should, have, you should have jumped in the pile, but you didn't. And so what do you remember what you were thinking at that moment? Okay. Um, I didn't get the fumble, but it's, I mean, we're going to play tit for tat. I see numerous quarterbacks throw interceptions. And their effort afterwards, they don't go. I don't dive on one fumble because the way my leg was, it, it could have been contorted in a way. Okay, you say my effort. I didn't dive down. I fumbled. That's fine. But at the end of the day, that, that game wasn't built off of. We didn't lose that game because of that fumble. I can tell you that. So, you know, you can condemn and say, well, oh, man, he gave up. He did that in the third. But... Hey, as long as my teammates know, as long as my coaches know, as long as anybody that's following this team knows. I mean, it's easy for a person to nitpick and say, oh, man, Cam, this, oh, he gave up, he just that. That's cool, that's fine. I mean, I'm a grown man. I can understand that. But to say some things along the lines of that and to say it in my face, that's that's extremely different. There you go. It made perfect sense. <laughs> you did lose the game because of that fumble. Uh, definitely lost any chance to win the game because of that fumble. 
Yep. Because at that time, down six points, you drive down, score a touchdown, and you win. And I don't know what he's talking about. Leg was contorted in such a way he's standing there looking at the ball on the ground, and then he kind of jumps away from it. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, I guess benefit of the doubt, maybe the leg was in a weird position, but I don't know. Did you see what Bruce Irvin tweeted? No. What did he tweet? LOL. Russ would have got the ball. (laughs) Which is the truth. Which is interesting coming from Irvin because he's a free agent. So you'd think he would uh, avoid burning any bridges. But there you go. No. I think there's a lot of NFL players who are pointing at this guy like, this is your MVP guy with the hood on and the... Super yep. upset, crybaby afterwards. I, you know, and that's the thing. If you shoved a microphone in my face after a loss, um, I think that I would also, you know, maybe not be. And this is after like a flag football game. I probably wouldn't be re- super easy to talk to or, you know, real communicative. Uh, and on a stage that big, who knows how it would be. But I think that what kills people, though, is the juxtaposition. So, like, when I do right. well in flag football, I'm not, like, dancing on the field. <laughs> you know, I mean, the Superman. Yeah, comes. no, it's, I, I just kind of walk off or, you know, do maybe high-five a, a guy on my team or something. But that's I'm not dancing. So, if then I'm upset after the Super Bowl, I feel like it, it's, it just works. You know, I'm like, hey, this is, I'm, I'm a little frustrated here. Uh, plus, you have, you have, you have time to, to uh, he, had, he had almost an hour to compose himself before he came out. A lot of uh, different comparisons between uh, Peyton Manning two years ago when he lost to Russell Wilson, and then even Russell Wilson last year when he lost. He comes right. out and says, that throws on me. I shouldn't have made it. We, we did real well. The Patriots are a great team. We lost the game. And this guy just, well, he did what he did, so who cares? He did what he did, and uh, this story from it's a couple different places. This one comes from the Cato Institute. For Cam Newton, adding Super Bowl tax insult to Super Bowl injury. So, um, and we've talked about how state income taxes work. Like, they have to, you pay state income tax for the percentage of time in the active year that you're in that state. So, they were in California for seven days, right? Right. So, seven of the 200 days, you got to pay the tax on you get a little extra income for playing in the Super Bowl. So they said what it all worked out to is uh, he gained 51000 in income uh, as from playoff bonuses and paid out 101000 in taxes. Who's that? Cam Newton. Wow. So he lost money by going to California for the Super yes. Bowl for seven days. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So the other big the other big news um, out of the Super Bowl was Marshawn Lynch hanging up his cleats. That's right. He hung up his cleats. So and and apparently going into the drug trade because last time I checked, shoes hanging on te- <laughs> telephone wires were. Uh, <laughs> Man, you could buy drugs at that location? Yeah. No, so. no. And then another article came out saying he didn't spend his $50 million. He's only bought like a he bought one Lambo, a Jeep, which he's recently put up for auction, and a house. So who knows? That's uh, that's the beast mode for you, though. You just never know what he's yeah. going to do next. <laughs> and someone said, 
uh, Marshawn Lynch would have retired in the middle of the Super Bowl, even if he was playing in the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) I'll hang him up right now, boss. Like Marshawn Lynch didn't come out from halftime. Oh, he just, he, it's tweeted out a picture of his cleats hanging up in the locker room. So Okay, I'm going to interrupt the flow of the show just to do this because I forgot to do it last week. But you said the hospital bill's total is about $5,000? That I'll actually have to pay, yes. That you'll actually have to pay? We yeah, got the, we the got 4750 We got 10%. Wow. We, that's... Have, we have $500 right now. So oh, that's awesome. If uh, if we get some more donations, maybe we can get up to a thousand. We can get we can get twenty percent of those bills done. So please go to revelationsradionews.com, Go to support. Hit the contact tab, or actually just hit the support tab. Go to donate, and you can donate. And if you happen to be a fan of the Broncos, you can give write a special message in our uh, <laughs> in the uh, in the message section of the donation button and uh, <laughs> tell us whatever you want. You can tell us the Seahawks are terrible. You can tell us, yep. yay, the Broncos won. You could t- say, sports hey. ball is lame. <laughs> Quit ruin the show. Quit bashing Cam. Yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> I really hate Revelations Radio News in January because you can't get away from the <laughs> sports balls. Yeah. So there you go. And we'll get well, a, yeah, we'll get a check for that in the mail to you here real soon, Andrew, for the 500. We're at 513 dollars 513.90. Wow. So I pulled. Pull the 500, just hit the transfer to bank button, and then I'll send you a check. Send it on on down the road. Hopefully, you can put that towards good use. Uh, If you consider um, (laughs) the Oregon Surgery Clinic good use, then yes, that's where it'll go. I think I I can. uh, I think you know what I meant, but yeah. All right. So. You have a direction to go in this show. I did watch the New Hampshire primaries. Good night. Was that weird? So who okay, the, who is so, this guy? <laughs> uh, John Kasich. John Kasich. Yeah, he's the guy that for some reason they kept letting in the debates, even though he was polling at like two percent. He's been around forever. Okay. Is he from New Hampshire? No, he's I'm actually from Ohio. I, oh, that's I right. heard his concession or concession, his celebration speech or second his celebration, place. like second place celebration speech. Because he, I mean, Trump like ran away with New Hampshire. Yeah. And I got some thoughts on Trump too. So Trump, I watched this, you know, this, the tat, what is it? Tat Sadik, Tadich. What is it? What's his name? Sadich. Kasich. 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 Whatever his, whatever his name is. It doesn't matter. He's got he's, no chance. He's going to disappear in five minutes anyway, so why do yeah. I have to remember his name? Um, I, him, and then I watched, like, every, like this is the, like, it is surreal to turn it to, to Fox News. It's like, Trump ran away with it. Some guy you never heard of got second place. And, so, and then, but, like, it's just breaking news. Really tight race for third place between right. Rubio, <laughs> Bush, and, uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Ted Cruz. And it's just like, so, so guess who, uh, go to foxnews.com or, but before you go, whose picture is like full screen? Foxnews.com? Yep. I don't know. Who is it? Where is it? Where are you? Kasich. Kasich. So not, not the guy who won. And yes, it's a, a three way tie of 11% for third, right? Right. Which there's some 
occult numerology stuff there, but we'll leave it alone. But hmm. Interesting. Um, so I don't know how uh, Jeb Bush got 11% I don't anywhere. Either. I don't either. Yeah. He did a part of his campaign this last week. He sat with his mom and uh, <laughs> his mom was like, you're super. He, I think Jeb's really qualified. Yeah. I don't want to dignify Trump with a response. <laughs> okay. I'm sick of him. Yeah. I'm not even going to dignify him with a response. Like, okay, that's good. Mom <laughs> helping you out on the campaign trail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's well, and Hillary bringing Bill in for New Hampshire sure worked out well for her. So, yeah. They were hoping for a, a single digit loss. Oh, and then she, lost she got annihilated. 20% or something. Yeah. Uh, it looks like Bernie, last time I checked, was going to take it at 59%, and she was at 30 something. So, uh, you know what's holding her campaign back? Burnedout.com. <laughs> Still for sale. <laughs> hey, $4,000, Hillary. It can be yours. <laughs> well, we got $4,500 left in medical bills. So if somebody wants to buy burnedout.com for 4500 bucks, it's all so, them. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So uh, then burn the burn. Feel the burn. I mean, he just kills it. Kills New Hampshire. I mean, just annihilated it. And uh, continues to move forward, even though Hillary played a pretty lame card on him this last week in the debates where she said, I can't believe he's saying I'm, a, I'm all about the establishment when I'm a woman running for president. Woo! <laughs> yeah. Woo! Yeah! Go, Hillary, because you don't have a penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how is that anti-establishment? You believe everything that the like, status quo establishment, but you're a woman? Like, right. oof. Yeah. Yeah. So you um will make sure to run things you know for the big banks, for the special interest groups and but you're a woman so it's okay. It's just kind of like well, sure um you know under Barack Obama black unemployment is up, standard of living is down, but he's black so it's okay. That's all right. He's it's okay. Everything's fine. Um, after Iowa, I think last week we talked about how they were um, really playing up Marco Rubio, right? And so then there he had a little bit of a uh, malfunction. Mm-hmm. I think this actually would be the proper time for the the term glitch. Okay. Like his programming malfunction and he got stuck on repeat. Like three times you're familiar with this, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'm talking about Barack Obama, right? No. Rubio, Rubio Rubio does this? I'm not familiar with this glitch. Oh no, okay. I ah. Okay, but um, just I just you don't have to play an example, but I I get the point. No, it it I should be able to to find it in short order. And what will be lost is in the upper right of the video, they showed like the timestamp when he said it, like how close together it was. But And let's dispel once and for all with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. 
But I would add this. Let's dispel with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. Facts. Here's the bottom line. This notion that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing is just not there true. There it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. There it is. The memorized 25-second speech. Well, that's the, that's there the it is, reason everybody. why this campaign is so important. To the gang of eight bill first. Well, here's the response. If I think anyone who believes that Barack Obama isn't doing what he's doing on purpose doesn't understand what we're dealing with here. Okay, this is a president. This is a president who is trying to change this country. So wow. What's, <laughs> what's lost in that is that in between the mm-hmm. first and second and the second and third of those, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Christie called him out for using canned talking points and repeating himself over and over again. And he responds by <laughs> repeating himself over and over again. Well, so to be clear, the first one, let me see if I can play this and mute it. Um, he says the, the first time he says it at eight thirty, mm-hmm. then at eight thirty-two, Right. And then at eight thirty-four, Right. It was all part of the same exchange between him and Chris Christie. And then Christie calls him out a little bit. Wow, that's interesting. So definitely he, there's a glitch in the Matrix with Marco Rubio's brain there. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, in so, the, Go ahead. Okay, no. No, you go ahead, Tim. You go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I was going to jump ship totally and move on to Trump. But I, I do think Marco Rubio – so Rubio obviously has some sort of an issue here. He's, he's too canned. Pre, he's pre planned. Uh, programs. Yeah. This, this guy is totally, um, you know, Manchurian candidate. Okay. Style. Hmm. And I, I kind of, I had that feeling before, but it, um, and we, we can't play the whole clip. There's a, a clip in there, the dark past of Marco Rubio, where Wayne Madsen, and we've, um, done quite a bit of his stuff in the past. I mean, I think he's a legitimate journalist as far as he, you know, he's, he's not claiming crazy stuff all the time, right. but he's also not afraid to, uh, to dig into some serious dirt either. Exactly. There's no, there's no mainstream media filter on him. So apparently Marco Rubio was a, flamboyant homosexual back in his younger days. Right. And that's kind of what I remember of him. And this is the first, I mean, I just don't watch television, man. I do. I I read stuff. I I look at, I listen to podcasts. I just don't watch television. So today when I saw him, he he looked different than I remember him looking, but I don't, wasn't there a thing we caught? I know we talked about this last week. I swear we covered, talked about something that happened in Florida where there was some sort of an escort, male escort that came out or some sort of scandal had followed him. Yeah. So his <laughs> a person he got arrested with and was friends with uh, ended up running a a um, gay porn site, right? Like live gay porn site, and um, you know his brother got arrested, and then he he tried to hook his brother up with. So the, the important part it, it's not really the specifics of it; it's this guy's got like the rest of them, a ton of blackmail material that's being held over his head. Mm. Um, 
but his parents also so his parents you know he says oh they fled castro's cuba yeah well he he talked i listened to his speech part of it today and he talked about my dad didn't have a job and then he went to you know he after pretending bars for 20 years he had had to move to vegas and he had to be a bus boy and carry ice for people and like that was the only income like he he has this real rags to riches parental story right um when in reality his parents moved from Cuba four years before Castro took power, and uh, so they weren't really fleeing Castro's Cuba, and um, they moved because he was his parents were working in a casino in tax rates in Havana, moved him to work at a casino in um, Florida, and then moved him to work in a casino in las vegas so um you know and i mean it's okay his dad was a a bartender in a casino it's not first of all you should make pretty good money doing that it's not like you're um should be in the in the poorhouse. but the the more important part is that time in cuba like when he was moved out of cuba um very strong CIA presence, mm. and so there's the possibility that this this kid's been brought up from way back um, hmm. as a CIA puppet, just like Barack Obama. When you look into his past, um, you know his his mom had intelligence connections. His um, supposed father did as well. You know, there's just it's not a normal childhood. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, if you did a a swath of random people in America, you would not pull out a lot of backgrounds like this. And um, there's got to be a reason for it. And I think the reason for it is CIA doesn't just try to rig foreign elections. They try to do it in America, too. So, yep. Well, there you go. That's a that's a. A good thesis, some good things to watch out for. Uh, a dark one, too. I mean, unfortunately. Yeah, so. Can so. we move from Manchurian Candidate to the polar opposite of Manchurian Candidate? <laughs> uh, don't be so sure he's the polar opposite. But. Uh, maybe not polar opposite, but I, <laughs> I noticed something today, okay? okay? I watched everybody's speech. Yep. Hooray, I'm Bernie, I won. I'm Hillary, I won. I'm Rubio, I won. And Trump, I won. And all these people are excited because they got first, second, third. And we, and me and five other people tied for third. Um, he doesn't ever – like, okay, Donald Trump has no talking points. None at all. The guy hits – He he's a, a – a, is, is populist the right word here? I mean, he's a salesman. He hits the he hits the podium. Oh, he's definitely populist. He, he hits the podium, which is kind of ridiculous. And and just goes, he just free flows words. Just mm. just he 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 goes over the same things. you know that you know he keeps saying he's going to keep doing them, but he doesn't hit the podium with the canned Marco Rubio type responses or even like Barack Obama. Where's my teleprompter? He right. just he just ad libs the whole thing. Um. Yeah, I mean that's all I got. I mean that's it's it's kind well, of it's kind of amazing. And then he plays off the crowd. He's good. Yeah, and it, it's in stark contrast to everybody else who's up there, who's a bunch well, of teleprompter here, PR readers. Okay, but 
you need to not watch one Donald Trump speech. You need to watch ten, and then tell me if it's because he. I, I got it. He pretty much says the same thing because I did hear him say the same three or four things that he always says. He said, and this did, this frightened me. Everything he said up until this point, I was like, well, you know, he's he's going after things I care about, right? He's we're gonna get rid of Common Core and we're gonna make America great again. I'm like, okay, awesome, that's great. I want to get rid of Common Core too. He's like, we're gonna build a wall over Mexico and it's not even that hard. We're gonna build and make America great again. I'm like, okay, wall. I don't really <laughs> care. It's gonna be great. He's gonna build a wall. Who cares? <laughs> and he goes, and we're going to have the biggest, strongest military in the world. We're going to build it back up. We're going to take care of our veterans. And I was just like, wait. ooh, wait. Ooh, ooh. Biggest, strongest military. We already have. We spend more than like the top 10 countries combined. Like how big and strong does the military need to be? I'm right. all about taking Where care of the veterans. Build back the military. Build back the military. That's a great Sequestration's meme. Sequestration tearing it apart. Right? Yeah. Like would, would your business be torn apart if you didn't get an extra, like, if you got – Extra four percent instead of eight yeah. <laughs> percent, and it, it's all off books anyway, so it's really unlimited, <laughs> totally unlimited money. Yeah. Um, another thing, Donald Trump said. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to, uh, let's see. Let me see if this is a. Yes, it is a video. So, if you want to. Uh, play the Trump would bring back waterboarding clip. Oh, good. Trump would bring back waterboarding clip. In the Middle East, we have people chopping the heads off Christians. We have people chopping the heads off many other people. We have things that we have never seen before as a group. We have never seen before what's happening right now. The medieval times. I mean, we studied medieval times. Not since medieval times have people seen what's going on. I would bring back waterboarding, and I'd bring back a hell of a lot worse than waterboarding. Mr. Trump, thank you. Okay, Governor I- Bush, you have said that you won't rule waterboarding okay, out. Congress has passed laws. Ban- <laughs> Nobody even responds. The one guy in the, in the, in the crowd starts clapping. Great, great. Yeah. Worse than waterboarding. That's what we need. Yeah. Um Never seen things like this before. Really? And then he kind of, he does kind of correct himself by saying like, oh, well, you know, like Middle Ages. Okay. Mm. French French Revolution? Chopping people's heads off. What is that, like 200 years ago? Yeah, that's not Middle Ages, last (laughs) time I checked. And is it really that much more civilized to use poison gas on millions of people like world war one and, um, or nuclear weapons on people. So, uh, then it, the article goes on to say, um, and this was from Infowars, which I was glad to see some semi anti Trump stuff on Infowars. A little surprising. Has he been all Infowars all the time? Um, well, so if you come on Alex Jones's show, he'll love you. Okay. So he's he's doing the whole like, like yeah, I know you know Donald Trump some of the things he says, but but he, you know behind the scenes like he he listens to the show and he knows what's going on and you know he'll he'll kind of bring more and more of it out as we go along and yeah yeah yeah. So that that's like Alex Jones's kryptonite is hey man I listened to your show I like it. That's oh really? You're not so bad. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> Alex Jones's kryptonite is, hey, great show, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to take back the country 1774. What? Jeb Bush likes the show? Okay, man, maybe it's not so bad. All right. Uh, so Trump is also the person, this is from the article, who recently in November said he does not care if torture doesn't work because, quote, they deserve it anyway. And uh, so keep in mind, this it plays into the, to the absolutely 100% disproven narrative of Oh yeah, we're only capturing terrorists. The the terrorists that they're waterboarding and torturing and everything else are really people turned in for a couple hundred dollars in Afghanistan. Usually, you know, your average goat farmer or whoever. Um, someone doesn't like him, goes and gets a couple hundred bucks from the American military and turns them in, and that's who your your terrorists are. Uh, so. No one, well, you know, it's kind of like the scene in Princess Bride where, you know, the poisoning scene. So he says, clearly I cannot choose the glass in front of you. So clearly I cannot choose the glass in front of me. And he goes round and round. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. So that's how I feel with um, presidential politics. Clearly you cannot vote for Donald Trump. Clearly, you cannot vote for Marco Rubio. Clearly, you cannot vote for John Kasich. Um, what about Hillary Clinton? Clearly, you cannot vote for Hillary Clinton. What about feeling so, the burn? So, what what you need to do, people, is just stop voting. Right? No one. <laughs> you know what? If if no one fights, there can't be a war, and if no one votes, there can't be an election. So. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I'm just interested to see, I mean, we're a long way, no, we're not that long, I mean, unfortunately, I wish it was shorter, but we are, what, 11 months, not even 11 months, nine months away, so we are one pregnancy away here from, (laughs) can you imagine having a baby on the election day? Um, (laughs) I will name my child after whoever wins. (laughs) Marco Hoffman. You, you think there's lots of uh, Baracks out there? <laughs> what is a? Did bar- you see the the Super Bowl ad about oh, Super Bowl yeah. babies? Super Bowl babies, which is is really flawed, right? So you go exactly yeah. nine months after a Super Bowl, and those are Super Bowl babies, implying that people who live in the hometown of the Super Bowl winners were getting it on that night. In the last five to ten years, the Super Bowl has always been in February, putting it within a week of Valentine's Day. So, week right. to ten days of Valentine's Day, which may have a higher pregnancy rate than any other day. But actually, uh, it doesn't. Right around Christmas is the highest. Oh, I know. I'm my. What do you? What do you? I mean, who are you talking to, man? My birthday's September the eighteenth. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm right in there. And I remember when I when I was in school, I was like, why does everyone have a birthday this week? <laughs> Jeez. Because your parents actually had some time off and <laughs> en- energy to procreate. <laughs> September birthdays is always like, you know, there's like 10 people out of a class right. of 35. Eh, 
Anyway, speaking of, I feel like I got sidetracked. I don't even know where I was going. But well, you know, a little uh, personal note: uh, Hoffman Child Number Two is is on the way. Wow! Well, congratulations, man. Headed for ex- expected due date September fourteenth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm rooting for that baby to hold off four days. We can have the same birthday. Yeah, there you go. So very cool, very, very, very cool. I'm excited for you, man. Congratulations. So much uh, more medical bills, but for a much, much happier and more, much more uh, joyous occasion. Absolutely. My point is, though, is is do you think Rubio can come back from New Hampshire third place to win in the presidency in nine months? I mean, do the diabolic well, voting machines and the propaganda uh, arms of the military-industrial complex have the power to do I this? Guess it, I guess it depends how many states take Microsoft up on the, hey, we'll count your votes for you. We got this cool app. <laughs> and, to t- yeah, actually, yeah. And, uh, and, and Bill Gates is supporting Marco Rubio. Yeah, Microsoft is the second largest donor to Marco Rubio behind only... Goldman Sachs. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but he's your uh, logical, you know, reasonable choice for president. Well, Don't like Donald I, Trump, but just go for Marco Rubio. Things will be fine. Well, I mean, I did hear today that his his dad was a bartender for twenty years, and then he became <laughs> a busboy because he couldn't get a job, and he had to carry the ice for the bartender. So, when it comes to poor people. And people not having enough, Marco Rubio understands. So, do you remember when it was like a requirement uh, for presidential candidates to have served in the military? I don't. I didn't think that was a thing. Is that a real thing? No, I'm not saying an actual requirement. I'm saying like a political requirement. No. Because they... Well, think back to, you know, like... Well, that's right. The Bush yeah, yeah, yeah. versus the, Kerry. The Bush, and Bush and Kerry. Well, he got a Purple Heart. Well, he dropped out because he's a pansy. <laughs> he's a right. draft dodger. Well, but they he, were both, like, military veterans. So it's like there's kind of a, a a deal among the establishment where you either, like, make that a must-have. It's an unwritten rule that if you have that, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it kind of puts you in a, in a higher status. Do you but remember either we, of the Democratic candidates? And if you go with the Republicans, so Donald Trump, mm-hmm. no military, right? Uh, um, Marco Rubio, no military, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Christie, I mean, the guy couldn't run a quarter mile <laughs> ever, so I'm pretty sure he never served in the military. Yes. Um, I mean, some of the like really low-level candidates, I'm sure, probably did. Ted Cruz, military? No, I don't think so. No, perfect. He's Canadian. Why would he serve? Maybe he served in the Canadian military. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's just strange where it was like such a big deal. Really early morning, eh? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Margin on the grinder at 5 a.m., eh? <laughs> so you, oh, my yeah. grandfather was in the Canadian Army, so uh, who I'm making fun of here. Um, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's a that's a, this is a, this is a valid point you bring up. They have nobody has any military chops whatsoever. You remember even Clinton? Like it was like didn't didn't the original Bush say uh, or Poppy Bush George Poppy Bush say he was accused of being a draft dodger? Um, I think Clinton like yeah. And then George W. Bush was accused of well, you know, shirking his. Avoiding the draft by going to the National Guard and then getting cushy assignments and then not even bothering to show up for those. That's right. That's right. Yep. 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 You know what annoys me? And this is this may uh, this may ruffle feathers out there, but I don't really mind. People who are super duper into weapons who didn't have the balls to join the military. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, it just really bothers me. Like you know, like I got this gun and this gun, and this telescope and this thing, and this will go shoot something at forty yards. And they're like all about guns and like camo, like they wear camo and didn't didn't join the military. No, yeah, no. but like really but interested kinda, in possibly killing people, but just not in the military. I think it's more disturbing when those people do join the military, though. Ah, that's a valid point. That's a valid point. They do do uh, more damage usually, but I, and I don't necessarily mean the strictest sense of what I'm saying. I'm saying the idea, like the right, the the uh, the general feeling of what I'm saying here. These people that don't, but because they remind me of like a Bill O'Reilly who's like bomb them. Send some right. people over there, kill them, we'll kill them dead, we'll kill them, kill them, kill them, kill them, kill them. We'll do it. And then he doesn't do anything. He's, he doesn't do, he's like, we'll send somebody else over there to do it. Because yeah, he's exactly. always about the military. He's always about America, 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 America. Did you watch the Super Bowl? It's America. Ah, Blue Angels, it's America. But he doesn't actually do anything. He doesn't do right. anything. There's so None many of, of those people. There's None so the many of those people classes. in this country, and, and and you're right. The whole political class is nothing but people that are full of them. I'm not saying anybody out there should go join the military, but as someone who did, it annoys me that people that are so into it and all about the military and know all their military history and da, 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 and they're like, let's go to war, and they're sending these people on ten deployments. They're coming back. They're not injured physically. But mm-hmm. they're injured mentally, and they're just—I don't know. It just—or lots of times they are injured physically. And rant. You know what? It's always a, you know what you're, you're always in for it when I start the conversation with. You know what annoys me? <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. It. What do they call them? Bird, mili- I, bird I'm, dogs or I'm military? All, I'm all for not serving in the military, but let's not act like war is. Uh, this great, wonderful thing, you know, just to score political points. And by the way, the people that have actually gone to war don't think uh, it's great. Ron Paul was their candidate. So what does that tell you? (laughs) When I was younger, in my younger days, when I did serve in the military, I thought it should be mandatory that men should, should do two years, do a year, maybe two years in the military. Just, just so everybody could do it. Cause I think that I thought at the time that it would be a good, you know, just hey, everybody serves. Everybody does mm-hmm. their time. Everybody helps out the country. Because I, I was more of idealist, but I thought, hey, this is a good thing that other people should do too and get the experience. And I feel like if we did do that, and I'm not saying we should at all, but just theoretically, if we we started doing that, I think a lot of less people would be like, "Set on the war, let's go to right. war." As long as it's like the brown people who can barely get citizenship and the poorest parts of every you know single country in America, or excuse me, every single city in America. 
um, and the disenfranchised, the people who like had to join or else they were going to be arrested. Um, you know, or, you know, chose, they got arrested for like their third DUI when they were 18. It's like, you can join the military or you can just go to jail. And it's like, okay, as long as those people are the ones that are going to keep joining and then we're going to honor them by like having them stand up on on one leg that because they lost the other one at the Super Bowl and hand them some sort of a thing, then I guess we're just going to keep doing this crap. But I was just thinking, Hey, if everybody went, maybe we could stop doing all that crap. So in, uh, in Korea, I think you've got to do two years. Yeah. And I stood on one, and that's how I got the idea was, uh, it's funny you mentioned that, man. I stood on watch in uh, Singapore. So I was in Singapore and I was on watch. I was watching the boat from the, uh, the dock there, watching the pier, just checking IDs as people came across. And I was on a, it was a joint, uh, international watch. And so it was me. We had members of the, uh, Korean, uh, Navy with us. And then uh, there was actually we were port at port with the Singapore military that was like helping out and watching too. So um, I sat there and talked to them <laughs> mm-hmm. for the you know watch is about two hours long. So what are you going to do when you're not checking IDs except talk to each other? And I talked to the Korean guy and he spoke great English and told me about how it was and um, it was not it, it is mandatory it is so he told me it was mandatory and so it was mandatory in Singapore I think Korea it was two years in Singapore it was one and they both and like the guy from Singapore struck me as a brilliant guy like on his way to being a doctor he was just like yeah I'm just trying to relax before I got to go to school and I'm you know going <laughs> to try to do this and it just a you know one of the smartest guys I've ever had stood a watch with. Because he had to do it before he went in. And I'm not advocating that we should do this, but well, it just it does change the look and feel of the military when it's not the poorest, you know, but, most but helpless people. But also say this about Korea. So, you know, they've, they've got the DMZ between them and the craziest dictator in the world, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, Kim yes. Jong-il. Kim, yes. Ah, so crazy. Um and when I was over there, you know, they were North Korea was threatening to obliterate South Korea. And this was big news in the U.S. And I had people, oh, are you OK over there? You know, are you sure you want to be over there? So and uh, my boss, he's like, ah, he's don't even worry about it. He's like, think of it kind of like um, like an uncle, you know, like he says weird things. But he's your uncle, you know. You, you don't you don't worry about it. It's like they're they're a family. They're cousins up there. They're <laughs> it's like he he said. Now we used to really want uh, reunification. Now we're looking at how much we have and how little they have, and we don't really want reunification anymore. But but no one's like freaking out about. Oh no, they're they're gonna attack. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and certainly no one in, on the South Korean side is is eager for war. Sure, sure. So, anyway, I just yeah. When you when you have to serve, uh, I think people are less happy to go to war. So, what's the word you always use? I, I can't. It's on the it's on my brain. Chicken hawk. Chicken hawk. That's what it is. <laughs> These chicken hawks always. Hey, let's go to let's go to war. I'll bring back more torture. So yeah, he's an idiot. I mean that that's just he's. He's insane, but he gets up there and tells people what they want to hear, and he's a little bit different. And he's just not canned and uh, polished as the other folks. Um, and go ahead. Um, 
I think there's, and this has been talked about, I think Lou Rockwell might have talked about it, where there's kind of some soul-searching on the libertarian side, where it's kind of like, man, were people really that into Ron Paul and libertarian ideas, or was it just like any veneer of anti-establishment is like what people want? Because hmm. it's the... You know, it's kind of like a lot of the same people are jumping on with Donald Trump, even though the ideas are totally different. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like the blind leading the blind. Yeah. I'd, so, I don't think it's. I don't think it really is about policy or ideas. I I think it's about you know his his appeal is kind of the non. Uh, can teleprompter speech appearance? How much of that is, you know? What's, I mean, what's going on with his face? He's, I, he's he's the reddest person I've ever seen. <laughs> Trump? Yeah. <laughs> is, has it always been like this? Uh he's really red. Maybe it was just the TV I was looking at or something. But like, even the I just noticed it wasn't just makeup because even like the part in his hair was like a weird shade of red. I'm a I'm a ginger for crying out loud. I have, I'm bald with <laughs> well, red all, beard, and the guy is way look, redder than I am. I mean, yeah, he's, they can make you look however they want, though. I don't know. I guess, I guess. But uh, the funny thing about it, Donald Trump, a lot of inv- evangelical followers. Yeah, not um, that's still like a a weaker area overall for him. I think. Okay, everybody ready to laugh? There's a story in the secret folder called "The Blind Leading the Blind." Donald Trump and evangelicals. I was trying to cue oh, you cue it up. to go read it. I think it... Did we leave that in from last week? We did, but you don't want it, so we can throw it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too far down the list. Okay. okay. Are you ready to, to go in a different direction? I am ready to go in a different direction. I am done talking about Chicken Hawks and Donald Trump, which are one and the same. All right, so tell me... Um, your uh, take on the Zika thing? I well, yeah. Or do you want to do? I I should have found a story kind of about it, but I'm sure most people have heard it. Well, micro microcephaly. These poor kids are being born with tiny heads, right? And so they're saying, we don't know it's the Zika virus, but it's the Zika virus, people. And be very afraid. And oh, the Zika virus is here and there and oh, small heads. Um, so Columbia, uh, this comes from truthkings.com, kind of an anti-vaccine mm-hmm. site. Mm-hmm. Uh, Columbia's president, 3,177 confirmed pregnant women with the Zika virus. No microcephaly. My, microcephaly. Microcephaly. Sorry. Uh, Colombia's president Juan Manuel Santos said that three thousand of three thousand one hundred seventy-seven confirmed Zika cases in pregnant women, no cases of microcephaly exist, according to the Washington Post. A U.S. science team remains en route to investigate the matter. This link between Zika cases in pregnant women and microcephaly remains unconfirmed officially. However, that hasn't stopped the WHO and CDC from using scare tactics worldwide. The United States already has one state, Florida, under a state of emergency. Again, I repeat, there's no confirmed link. Health officials have also upped the ante on how people can contract Zika. 
In the United States, health officials are saying that it is now confirmed to spread similarly to an STD. They've now added kissing to the list of potential ways to contract the virus. Okay, so it goes on. Um, uh, let's see. But don't worry, they're going to work on vaccine. So it's it's kind of a similar script to Ebola. I mean, who wants a kid with a tiny head, right? Um, but there is... Okay, so if you've got this, the same virus in multiple countries, um, why are only some countries having this issue? So here's another Zika story, and this comes from um, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, who... I'm sure lots of people out there are familiar with um, the consistently anti-vax doctor, right. which is always nice to nice to see. Mm-hmm. The Zika disaster and the extreme dangers of vaccinating pregnant women. Um, as the Zika virus fiasco continues to unfold, reports that the virus is spreading rapidly across the world is utter nonsense. Do we know the background prevalence of Zika in the U.S.? In other countries, the virus is difficult to test for, and only recently have we started looking for it. The virus isn't new. In fact, it has been around a long time. It was first identified in 1946 by Rockefeller Foundation researchers who were studying yellow fever in the Zika forest of Uganda. Hence the name Zika. In April 1947, a fever developed in a, ra- in a caged rhesus monkey being observed on a tree platform. Two days later, the animal was taken to the Foundation's laboratory at Entebbe, and its serum was inoculated into the brains of mice. After 10 days, all mice were sick. When the agent agent was isolated, it was named Zika virus. The next year, the Zika virus was also isolated from the Aedes africanus mosquitoes trapped in the same forest. Shortly thereafter, serologic studies found that the virus could cause illness in humans. Despite evidence of human infectivity, there is no evidence proving the Zika virus uh, causes birth defects. The Washington Post reported um, on February 6th of 2016 that even though 3,177 pregnant women in Cambodia have been diagnosed with the virus, there's no been no increase in incidence of microcephaly. That's the it's rare, article. Co- rare, yeah. rare correction, uh, Colombia, not Cambodia. Oh, yeah. I, I said Cambodia, but the article... The article correctly says Colombia. So. Yeah. However, the Harvard-trained Brazilian researcher Pliny Bezerro dos Santos has put together a different scenario. Are the shrunken brains in more than 4,000 children the result of vaccinating pregnant women? Mm. Between March 2013 and March 2014, 226 confirmed cases of measles were reported in the state of Pernambuco, Brazil, even though the overall vaccination rate of the state is greater than 95%. Most children had typical measles consisting of a rash. Um, all of them had that. A fever and cough. 80, 85% of them had the cough and a runny nose. And conjunctivitis, uh, 60% of them had that. Even though no deaths were reported, a mass vaccination campaign was begun. During the South American Vaccination Week of April 2014, 39,200 women of childbearing age were vaccinated with MMR and other vaccines. The FDA 
rates the MMR vaccine, and all vaccines for that matter, as a pregnancy category C. This designation is given to a drug or vaccine that has not been studied in pregnant humans, but appears to cause harm in the fetus and animal studies. Because MMR is a live vaccine, and because exposure to measles, mumps, or rubella during pregnancy can be dangerous to the developing fetus, there is at least a theoretical risk the vaccine could cause problems. As a result, the manufacturer of MMR recommends that women should not get pregnant for three months after receiving it. Instead of erring on the side of caution, the CDC and many vaccine journals and textbooks recommend a waiting period of only 30 days is safe enough. On the heels of the MMR campaign in late 2014, the Brazilian Ministry of Health's Epidemiological Surveillance Center mandated all pregnant women to be vaccinated for pertussis Mm. using the whole cell pertussis vaccine, Mm. uh, DTPW, during their third trimester. The vaccine was produced by the uh, Butantan Institute, the Brazilian subsidiary of the UK-based GlaxoSmithKline. In addition to diphtheria, tetanus, and whole cell pertussis antigens, the vaccine ingredients included aluminum hydroxide, aluminum phosphate, bovine serum, bovine casein, formaldehyde, glutaraldehyde, glycine, and polysorbate 80. The U.S. equivalent to the vaccine used in Brazil is Boostrix. The package insert for this vaccine states, There are no adequate and well-controlled studies in pregnant women. Because animal reproduction studies are not always predictive of human response, Boostrix should be given to a pregnant woman only if clearly needed. Um, putting these two campaigns together, Dr. Dos Santos Filho announced, um, what is now dis- disclosed is that Zika is e- easily associated with rubella. The maximum number of children born with microcephalathy corresponded with the MMR vaccine c- campaign. The package insert for the uh, DTAP W states, this vaccine is not recommended for use in pregnant women. The evidence is compelling. This horrible travesty is iatrogenically induced. The live rubella virus acted synergistically with the neurotoxic whole cell pertussis pertussis vaccine antigens resulting in a syndrome similar to congenital rubella, a condition which manifests as cataracts, blindness, deafness, and microcephalathy. Instead of charging ahead to stop a Zika vaccine, the w- to develop a v- to Zika. develop a Zika vaccine, the WHO and others should stop and say, "We must stop vaccinating pregnant women. World citizens must revolt. We must stop the continual, continual human experimentation called vaccination." No, 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 no. I'm just no, on, just more vaccines. Just on more NPR vaccines. this morning, I heard that the vaccine makers are rushing to. To figure out how to uh, to come up with a Zika virus vaccine, so no need to not take the vaccines. We got one more for you to take that'll stop the effects of the other one soon. Right? Yeah. So, and I mean, there was probably quite a bit of damage. Um, I don't think they actually got the Ebola vaccine developed, did they? Or that's they're still working on that. Uh, yeah, I don't think that there is one yet, no. Okay, so they're probably waiting to scare everyone with Ebola until there's a vaccine. So the the initial scare is to like get the get the money flowing for the vaccine research, mm-hmm. and then they'll you bring out the scare again to once the vaccine's available to sell a few million doses of it. 
That's my um, cynical prediction. So I'm looking at Wikipedia's Ebola vaccine. In January 2015, Cleany, the WHO's assistant director of the health system and innovation, announced that the vaccines such and such and such and such, which is just a bunch of letters and names or numbers, had demonstrated acceptable safety profiles during early testing and would soon progress to large-scale trials in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea. Trials would involve up to 27,000 people and comprises of three different groups and members. Wow. Both vaccines have successfully completed Phase 2. The large-scale Phase 3 have begun on April 2015, uh, Liberia and Sierra Leone. That's good. Awesome. Here we go. Getting ready. Getting ready. Get ready, Char- get ready to be scared about Ebola again. Well, we got 27,000 people that we're just experimenting on in Africa. I mean, that's a good thing to do, right? We're just yeah. here to help. Just here to help. We're here from the Gates Foundation, and we're here, here to help. U.S. National Stockpile Credit Suisse has estimated the U.S. government will eventually provide over $1 billion in contracts to companies to develop a medicine and vaccines for the Ebola virus. Congress passed a law in 2004 that funds a national stockpile of, of vaccines and medicine for possible outbreaks of disease. That's an interesting fact. Bonanza. A number of c- companies are developing Ebola vaccines. GlaxoSmithKline, New Link Genetics, Johnson & Johnson, and Bavarian Nordic. Bavarian Nordic. The worst m- Illuminati name for a company ever. <laughs> Another company, Emergent Biosolutions, is contestant for manufacturing new doses of ZMAP, a drug for Ebola virus disease treatment. Originally developed by MAP Pharmaceuticals, supplies of ZMAP run out in, ran out in October 2014. Wow. Bro, we got to come up with a vaccine that we can sell to the government for a billion dollars. <laughs> um, is there a way just to like get a bunch of vitamin D or vitamin C or something into a, a needle and call it a vaccine? I, I think they just call it a vitamin D shot. Yeah. The people are just actually doing them now. Us crazy granolas up here in the Northwest just get a straight up vitamin D shot. And there, there's been a lot of sick people at work here. What about you? Oh, same, same. People are getting dead. I mean, last Thursday, we have eight salespeople um, and two. We have eight salespeople, two managers, and a finance person. So that's uh, 11 people, but eight aren't there all the time so you got any given time you got five or six mm-hmm. last thursday on the sales floor two salespeople, no finance manager one manager everyone else sick wow i mean it was, it was ridiculous yeah that's, that's how it is at at my work right now so and the stock market continues to be somewhat uh schizophrenic so not a lot of large luxury vehicle purchases mm. been been kind of interesting, but everybody's been out sick, so you know it's interesting. It's not hard to cover when there's no sales happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, although you will be happy to know, I have uh, 30 megabits of download speed now. Oh, hey! Welcome to the 21st century. There you go. I'm here. I'm ready to go. I guess. 30 by what? 30 by 7. Like oh, that's six, good. 6 or 7, so that's pretty good. I'm paying for, I think, 25, and I got like 29-something. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Comcast um, 
like low I think it's the way their network is set up, but you sacrifice a little bit of download compared to Charter and some other providers, but you get more upload, which is probably overall a good thing, especially for a, someone like yourself trying to upload a podcast or do things like that. So. Sure. Well, but what's funny, too, is I was talking to my little brother about this. Um, I have T-Mobile, which is the – and I, you know, the, they keep saying the world's fastest LTE, which, by the way, they had a pretty awesome Super Bowl commercial. Um, but – my T-Mobile download speed at work is like 74 megabits per second over cell. Hmm. I mean, it's just an amazing network. And, it's, and, it, and it, my brother pointed out to me, he's like, this shows you how bad the cable companies and phone companies are kind of screwing us over, charging us a ton of money for like some of the world lows in, in internet speeds. When you, can, um, when you can get 70 megabits per second over cell, I mean... Well, it's it's not exactly that easy, though. I, I I hear you, but I mean, maybe it's old infrastructure or what. But you know, like you've said many well, times, both, people in Japan, Singapore, Korea, they got much faster internet. Both cable and DSL, yeah, they've got their own issues because it is running over technology that was designed for something else. But um, the cell networks. I mean, you're not going to get that kind of cell speed in a, a lot of places. I think in the Seattle area. I mean, T-Mobile well, is just okay. ridiculous. No, but I, I'm saying. I know. I know. What you're like saying. outside of yeah. major metropolitan areas, yeah. you're not. I know. I, I got you. You're 100% right. I think in the in a major metropolitan area like Seattle, the home of T-Mobile, they're going to make it fast. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very true. But, um you know, I just can't wait till Google Fiber gets here so I can give them all my info. <laughs> I, I honestly, I can't imagine me hooking up Google Fiber. Like, supposedly it's like next to free too. And I just can't imagine myself no, doing it. Like, I the, just, I'm so against Google's business model that I just okay. It's what they do is they say um, one time setup fee and then it's free, but only the five meg service is free. So you'd be going back to what you had before, and. Uh. Oh, once you're on that, oh, you could, well, you could pay eighty bucks a month and get real internet. So, so. here in the, in the Seattle area, we actually have a thing downtown, and it is famed and talked about, and only in whispers to those of us in the suburbs. But it's called Condo Internet. Have you heard of Condo Internet? Um, well, I mean, is it just fiber optic internet for multi-unit dwellings, or is it? Yeah, I mean it's fiber optic, uh, but it's it's not just multi-unit dwellings. Um, it's just a, I don't know how far it's reached outside of downtown. It started just as just multi-building uh, dwellings or multi what whatever however you said that. Yeah. Uh, multi-family dwellings, but it's moved out. It's it's actually gotten to single-family homes or just around the downtown area. Mm-hmm. One hundred megabit download speeds gigabit well um gigabit is a thousand more or less it's it, i think it was a gigabit it's a thousand yeah it's a thousand. yeah i mean once with fiber there's the only thing um there's nothing in the fiber itself to keep you from a, a gigabit connection it's just the equipment you're putting on either side of it and um you can get cheaper 100 meg equipment than you can get 
gigabit equipment. And that's what, from what I understand, if I could have stuck with Frontier, they eventually would have brought fiber to my area, but I just couldn't wait any longer. Because Frontier, Verizon, Quest, they're trying to bring fiber to people. Right. But uh, I just couldn't wait any longer. So, I mean, eventually I think fiber will get here and it'll be faster than cable. But we yeah. digress. We could talk about luxury car lines next. What do you, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> Um, I think people are probably more often dealing with internet than luxury car lines. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't have to deal with luxury cars very often. I do have to deal with internet every day though. That's a, that's a good point. So, yeah. so the, the tough part out from working for a company, we've actually just started turning up actual full on fiber to the individual home. Okay. And we can pull it off in areas where it's kind of a new development and we can get access when they're putting in other utilities. Mm -hmm. We just throw our conduit in the trench and run the fiber through it. Um, But to try to get permitting and do the actual digging and boring when it's, uh, you know, everything is already done for established neighborhoods, it's it's really, really expensive. So Ah, that's why. I don't yeah. have it. Yeah. I live in the old, old town area. Edmonds is actually quite old, like almost as old as Seattle old. It's been a logging um, logging yeah. community just north of Seattle by boat uh, for mm-hmm. hundreds of years. So it's it, it doesn't have uh, – there's, there's a building. Actually, the house that's directly in front of me is actually supposedly 100 years old. So mm. that would explain why. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not in. Companies are starting to invest in it and and doing it, because the actual equipment you need on the individual houses has gotten pretty cheap. Okay. Okay. So it's just a matter of getting the the physical fiber there. So, anyway, uh, you want to do some Oregon militia. Sure. Tough. All right. Or the event that happened in Oregon, it didn't contain too many Oregonians. So Lavoy Finnecum, mm-hmm. he's the one uh, gunned down um, by the FBI, FBI and Oregon State Police. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, well, I'll just read. So this is the statement from the Lavoy Finnecum family. Um, this came out on February 2nd, about a week ago. Uh, the purpose of this statement is to supplement the statement we issued earlier. It does not contradict our previous statement, but only serves to supplement, support, and add detail to our previous position. At this point, based on the additional information we have now received, it is our position that not only was the shooting death of Lavoy Finnicum completely unjustified, but that the FBI and Oregon State Police may also be engaging in a cover-up and seeking to manipulate and mislead the media and the American public about what really happened. We realize this may sound like a bold statement, but now that Shauna Cox, who is a passenger in the boy's vehicle, and an eyewitness um, has been released from custody, we have now had the opportunity to hear yet another account and the ability to start cross-referencing all currently available information to figure out what really happened. This, this has shed important additional light on the whole, whole ordeal, especially when Cox is given the opportunity to essentially narrate what is happening in the video from an eyewitness standpoint. 
It is our position that under the guise of claim transparency, the FBI was very quick to release a very grainy, edited video along with their interpretation of what they claimed it showed, without any audio overlay, in an effort to attempt to try to make the first impression on this issue and seek to sway public opinion from the outset. Based on Shauna Cox's account, coupled with the account of Victoria Sharp, in comparison to the video released by the FBI, we now desire to make the following additional observations. Mark McConnell, if that is even his real name, had previously issued a statement that Lavoie had supposedly charged toward the officers. According to Shauna Cox, however, McConnell was not even present and had no personal knowledge whatsoever of what happened at the roadblock where Lavoie was killed. By way of background, McConnell had showed up at the refuge just two days earlier and ingratiated himself into their circle. He insisted on driving Am and Bundy to the meeting. His vehicle was stopped at the outset, immediately surrounded by other vehicles and officers, and Ammon was ar- arrested at that point without incident. According to Shauna Cox, McConnell was never arrested and has been charged. Consequently, at this point, it seems fairly obvious that McConnell was either an undercover agent who was helping to orchestrate the whole thing, or he was somehow bribed. But he never even saw what happened with Lavoie. And remember, he, he was the... Um, one that wrote that they had been acting strange. Well, but the whole like official story that came out right away was from him. Oh, first-hand account. This is what happened. Oh, oh he right, charged right. at him. Yeah. Oh, I was talking about uh, Finnicum was the one that said they had changed. Yeah. Um, officers started shooting at Lavoie's vehicle and put people in, in it um, right from the outset, even at the very first stop. Ryan Payne put his empty hands out of Lavoie's truck window, and they shot at him. Ryan then yelled that there were women in the vehicle. The officers instructed them to allow the women to get out of the vehicle, but Victoria Sharp refused, and Shauna Cox would not leave her. Lavoie clearly stated to the officers repeatedly that it was his intention to go on to Grant County to talk to the sheriff there, but a disagreement ensued between Lavoie and Ryan Payne as to what they should do. So Payne exited the vehicle, at which time Lavoie proceeded farther until he came to the roadblock. According to Shauna Cox, they were being fired upon right from the outset at the second stop before Lavoie even exited the vehicle. So keep in mind the video shows like, oh, look, he gets out and and then something happens. He might reach for something and then he gets shot. So the eyewitnesses are saying they were being fired at before he even got out of the vehicle. Um, Let's see. Bullets had already come through the front windshield. According to Cox, there's no question that Lavoie was trying to draw the gunfire away from the others in the vehicle. According to Cox, it was very obvious that Lavoie had his hands in the air and intended to keep them there. The best explanation for Lavoie's arguably furtive hand movements and why he lowered his hands and reached for his side at one point it's because he had already been shot and he was reaching toward the area where he had been hit as an involuntary physical reflex. Despite his fairly obvious determination to try to keep his hands in the air as evidenced by the fact that he once again attempted to raise his hands before being shot again and collapsing. According to Shauna Cox, after the boy was lying motionless in the snow, the legion of federal agents and police unleashed a barrage of gunfire on the boy's truck and its remaining occupants then including Ryan Bundy, Shauna Cox, and Victoria Sharp, and shot it repeatedly. So shot the vehicle again. It was during this round of gunfire that Ryan Bundy was wounded. 
According to Cox, it was miraculous that no one else, which included Victoria Sharp, a completely innocent bystander, was killed or seriously wounded during this attack. In addition to gunfire, they were also terrorized by repeated smoke and pepper bombs. There was never any attempt to provide any meaningful or timely medical attention to Lavoie. Victoria Sharp kept yelling that she was an EMT and she wanted to treat him, but she was shot at instead. After reviewing the extended video with better technology, we want to reiterate that we are not accepting at face value the FBI's statement that Lavoie was actually armed. In summary and conclusion, after now having had the opportunity to view the full video with better technology and to cross-reference it with two eyewitness accounts, what we believe the video shows is that Lavoie was being fired upon before he even got out of the truck. He exited very quickly and ran away from the vehicle to draw the gunfire away from the truck and its remaining occupants. He had his empty hands in the air. He never wielded a weapon. He never posed any genuine threat to anyone. Okay, and it goes on. So, um, And they're asking for like all the, um, all the actual footage, basically. Right. And audio. Well, it's interesting you went in this direction because... I actually have a clip uh, from uh, our buddies up there at Press for Truth. Okay. So uh, it's about four minutes long, but he explains kind of another angle to the uh, murder, which has been caught on, uh, I think it's on camera. I don't know if that's a drone camera flying overhead or whatnot, but there is an overhead camera of the whole situation. Analyze piece by piece here exactly what took place. Now, I want to show you the most important part that I feel is involving this individual right here. This is a police officer from Oregon, uh, Oregon, and just watch. So what he's what he's pointing out is between the truck that's pulled over on the side of the road and the cars that are pulled over on the on the road, there is Finicum, and mm-hmm. then on the other side of that, facing back towards the car and Finicum is this other officer who has his hand straight out. Now, what I want to point out to you here is incredibly, incredibly important to understand. A lot of people suggest that this is the gunfire that killed Lavoie, but I am going to suggest today, ladies and gentlemen, that this is not the gunfire that killed Lavoie, because it is uh, my belief that this is not even a gun. If you look closely, um, it looks to me that this officer tases Lavoie. First of all, what officer in his right mind would fire at an individual when all these agents are over here? Okay, we have uh, Lavoie Finicum in line with agents here, 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 here. We have agents completely in the line of fire. No police officer would ever fire at a subject with all of these police officers and agents directly behind him. Now, if you look at the moment of firing. Let's let it play. Lavoie falls down in a being tased manner and watch his right arm here. This police officer immediately places his hand on his gun. His right hand is on his gun. Let's continue to let it play. His right hand is still on its gun. Let's continue to let it play. He's still holding the gun. He now looks down at the taser. He Sets it down in the snow, at which point Lavoie's arm raises stiff and he runs for cover. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to analyze this again a little bit closer. I uh, zoomed in on this. Let's just watch this one more time. And you can see here, Lavoie is standing there. Here comes the officer. He is pointing what I believe to be not 
a gun but a taser directly at him. Remember, the other agents are directly in firing line. So here is the taser. Here is the shot. Lavoy falls in the manner of being tased. Now watch the officer after this happens. He immediately places his right hand on his gun. Which is he still in the holster. He continues to have his right hand on his gun while he holds the taser out. The reason why you do this is so you can continue to administer electrical shock. Uh, he has his hand on his gun. He then, uh, after he uh, drops the taser, he runs for cover. And now that begs the question, let's go back to the video and see it once more. Um, let's pull it back a little bit to the point where this officer does that. He puts it down and then he runs for cover because he is in the direct firing line. He is in line of these agents right here. Now, if this is the case, this has incredible in, uh, implications. We know that this is uh, uh, Oregon's uh, police officer because of his uniform. He's not dressed the same way as the federal agents are. And with a quick Google search, we can tell that these police are indeed armed with tasers. Um, so now this, of course, is uh, the moment where he runs away uh, to get out of the line of fire. And that would suggest that the execution, the killing, the nine bullets that riddled Lavoie's body would have had to have come from this direction over here. Uh, so that is a, a, a point uh, on this uh, video that I don't really think I've heard anyone else uh, talking about um, because the implications are huge. If the Oregon police managed to tase him, then they had this situation contained. Uh, they would have been able to uh, uh, control the situation. If that is the case, then these federal agents indeed murdered him in cold blood um, if, if they did have him contained with a taser. And ladies and gentlemen, don't take my word for it. Please watch the footage for yourself. Analyze it for yourself. Now the question now becomes, what comes of this? What, what are people like the Bundys? Uh, going to um, do. And of course, it's tough over audio, but the video will be in the show notes. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I think that's probably right. Now, he might have already been shot at that point, too, but I do agree that the guy looks like he's, it's a taser. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, like, what this, what you just read, you know, the bullets to the windshield or whatever. Then he runs away to draw the fire. Then the officer runs at him, tases him. He hits the ground. The officer runs for cover, and then they all begin to shoot him from the roadway. And I think they're probably planning on just killing everybody. I don't think it was. Uh this uh, rushed video and what have you was kind of plan B because if they'd killed everyone, they could have made up whatever story they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. He said, he set his own house on fire. Remember the, the cop or the, yeah, the cop killer in LA. Yeah. Guy that set his own house on fire. Oh, he committed suicide after over, over the radio. It's yeah. Yeah. Light this dude up. Light him up. Light him up. Set the fire on. And oh, yeah, he committed suicide. He committed. We, didn't, we didn't burn him alive or anything. Turns out he committed suicide. So, we should get somebody to launch a police investigation. 
Yeah. Government should investigate itself. Yeah, there you go. That always works, right? Always works. Just like uh, government regulating itself. So I saw an article about, um, you know, how great Bernie is because it's, you know, capitalism's ruining everything. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, you know, how you can't trust anyone and what have you. But I, I just don't understand the magic process by which people become trustworthy when they um, are when they work for the government. Do you, do you know how that works, Tim? Like, okay, we cannot, cannot trust you to run a business. But if you're a government regulator... Totally trustworthy. Right. Yeah, that makes what sense. What could go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I don't understand that either because it's not like, and no offense to anybody that may be in a government position out there, but it's not like they're always just amazing people who are there to serve. I think there are right. people out there who join government to serve and to try to make government better. And I, I applaud those people. But I also think there are people who just can't get other kinds of jobs and get government jobs and then move their way up in the ranks because they can know how to play politics and, and whatnot, just like in any position, mm-hmm. which is just to your point, exactly like it would be if the banks were in charge or if it, you know, it can be a corrupt organization. Right. But it's uh, the government, man. You know, the guy that, um, you remember the show who wants to be a millionaire? Sounds from, Sounds familiar. This is a quiz show. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different iteration. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was the one we like call a, you know call your neighbor, get a clue, all those. Yeah, yeah. I got so it. the the first guy to win a million dollars on it, mm-hmm. IRS worked for the IRS. Mm-hmm. So depressing. The guy was genius, and he's like, ah, oh, he works for the IRS. <laughs> well there you go i mean there is there is good people in government i'm not saying it's bad but they're not all good no, no i'm saying it was like a it was a propaganda operation to to scare people like oh no if i cheat on my taxes the, the irs is stocked of all these geniuses ready to catch me on anything <laughs> no he was um I still remember it because, you know, you were allowed like three lifelines or whatever. Right. And so he had only used one, gets the million dollar question, and he's like, oh, I need to use the phone a friend lifeline. And so they call up his dad and he's like, oh, I don't really need your help. I just wanted to let you know I'm about to win a million dollars and <laughs> hangs up. So, Wow. It's sandbagging it yeah brilliant government employee so they are they are out there okay we got these are the stories that are left in the secret folder pro libertate tyranny defiance and death of lavoie finicum almost everything in dr strangelove was true the most dangerous man on earth leaked police files contain guarantees oh yeah did you read that one No. The one that I put in here. Leaked police file contains guarantees disciplinary records will be kept secret. Mm. Contact between police and city authorities tweet uh, leaked after hacker, excuse me, after hackers breached the website of the country's biggest law enforcement union and 
found that it contains guarantees that disciplinary records and complaints made against officers are kept secret or even destroyed. A Guardian analysis of dozens of contacts obtained from the servers of the Fraternal Order of Police found that more than a third of featured clauses allowing and often mandating the destruction of records of civilian complaints, departmental investigation, or even disciplinary actions after a negotiated period of time. The review also found that 30% of the 67 leaked police contracts, which were stuck between cities and police unions, included provisions barring public access to records of past civilian complaints, departmental investigations, and disciplinary actions. Samuel Walker, professor in criminology at the University of Nebraska-Omaha, said there is no justification for the cleansing of officers' records, which could contain details of their use of force against civilians. The public has the right to know, Walker said. If there was a controversial beating, we ought to know what action was actually taken. Was it a reprimand? Was it a suspension? No, is the answer. Sorry. Walker said that while (laughs) an officer's whole personnel file should not be readily available to the public, Outside of court proceedings, records of disciplinary action should be. The leaked contracts became publicly accessible last week when hackers breached the Fraternal Order of Police's website and put around 2.5 gigabytes worth of its files online. These provide a glimpse into the influence of police unions, which Black Lives Matter activists have accused of impending uh, of impeding misconduct investigations, particularly after the death of a 25-year-old Freddie Gray in Baltimore, Maryland, in April. The documents date back almost two decades and include agreements from unions such as the Policemen's Benevolent, uh, Benevolent Association and the International Brotherhood of Police Officers. Many contain numerous recurring clauses that slow down misconduct investigation, prevent public asset access to complaints and disciplinary records, and enable the destruction of complaints and disciplinary records after a negotiated period of time. At least as recently as 2007, if an officer in Independence, Missouri, was involved in a shooting incident, that officer could not be interrogated for at least 12 hours, nor be treated as a suspect unless local authorities thought there was a reasonable suspicion or probable cause that a crime had been committed. This protocol was mandated in the local police union's contract in a clause specifically designed for officer-involved shooting investigations. In recent years, Independence has made headlines for cases of police brutality and police shootings. From small towns in Nebraska and New Jersey to major cities like Cincinnati, Ohio, and Jacksonville, Florida, expungement clauses allow for records of formal investigations and written reprimands to be purged after a few years or even after, in some cases, only a few months. Chuck Canterbury, the FOP president, said the contract provisions were designed to protect the due process and rights of police officers and disciplinary files are removed uh, because they affect career advancement. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the point. People make mistakes. <laughs> if they learn from them, they should be removed. This is standard HR practice. Uh, hmm. I don't know. I've had a few uh, instances with the police in my past, a few mistakes that I've made. No one's erased them. Yeah, no, no one's. No one's come aside. It's an interesting double standard. Yeah, yeah. hey, t- looks like Tim hasn't gotten in trouble in over ten years. Actually, uh, going on twelve now. Never been in any kind of trouble with the law. Should we take these uh, these uh, traffic related incidents off of his record? Nah, no, nah. He hasn't really learned from them. <laughs> standard HR. Other deals contain provisions focused on blocking public access to records that were preserved. A 2006 to 2008 contract from Burlington Township, New Jersey, for example, required the police department's investigations commander to keep formal complaints and internal investigation documents in a locked file, barring access to all except the department's investigations commander, chief, and law enforcement. 
officer. <clears throat> Similarly, in Ralston, Nebraska, the 2009 to 2012 FOP contract created by the Police Officers Bill of Rights, which said, unless agreed by the the officer, the city shall not divulge the reason for any disciplinary action that is not appealed to the Civil Service Commission. The city was also bound to make every reasonable effort to prevent a photograph of the officer from being released to the public or newspaper. Among five other FOP contracts where such confidentiality clauses could not be inserted because of the state's open law requirements, uh, open records laws, several included language seemingly designed to help police officers beat public records requests. One 2009-2011 FOP contract from Hamilton County, Nebraska, initiates a mandatory five-step response to public records requests in which the department would ascertain the identity of the person making the request, provide the officer with a summary of the would-be release information, and guarantee the officer five days to object to the request and allow the officer a departmental hearing to make the case that the release could threaten his or her personal security. Wow. I mean, that's like, that's so ridiculous. Like, so if this guy <laughs> accidentally shoots my uh, non-existent uh, daughter and I go to actually put forward that I would like to get more information about what happened in that situation, they would actually have a meeting where they would talk about why they shouldn't give me the information and how if they did give me the information on this terms in which my daughter was mistakenly or accidentally shot then it would endanger his safety so he wouldn't do it hmm. Devin M. Jacob, a civil rights attorney and former police officer said there are public employees so their performance should be available to the public. There's no reason matters of waste or wrongdoing should be kept away from the public. I disagree with this idea and that sustained complaints or investigations don't matter. Speaking to the rationale for sealing off investigatory and complaint records, Canterbury, the FOP president, said it's mostly the false under it's mostly the false or unsustained complaints that officers feel unduly hurt their careers. Nobody expunges guilty adjudicated use of forces, so if these acts are found unsustained in the first place, why should they continue to have to have any bearing on the officers? Oh, so if the system that never finds police officers guilty says they're not guilty they don't even need to keep it on the record never <laughs> happened in jacksonville florida however according to 2008 2009 fop contract if an officer were to receive a written reprimand with a suspension or loss of pay after a sustained formal investigation that action would have to be purged after five years 12 years over here traffic related incidents <laughs> 12 years were going on and it's not going anywhere it's been 12 years there's no like right. it's not going to disappear i have to pay an attorney to come and figure out how to get this crap off my record or else every time i apply for a job it'll be a stressful circumstance mm-hmm. often even substantiated use of force allegations fail to even garner penalties as high as reprimand with suspension to put this in perspective even in cases between 2010 and 2015 in which the nypd's office of the inspector general confirmed that officers had used unwarranted excessive force officers were given no discipline of uh were given no discipline 35.6 percent of the time wow According to the contracts, however, most of the investigations into police misconduct are led by officers, supervisors, or investigators within the department, a process that leaves some reform advocates skeptical. 
Hmm. One, hmm. one leak. Just, just remember, it's just it's not people that are skeptical. It's just reform advocates, and you're not one of them, are you? But my point, my point's still the same. Coworkers investigating other coworkers, investigating other coworkers, probably not going to be right. Not going to be too too crazy. One leak, 2004-2006 contract from Worthington, Idaho, said that the city official who received a citizen's complaint about police officer must advise the complainant uh, to go to the police department. Instead, the citizen does not wish to contact the division of police, the contact said. City staff should contact the division of police department in a timely manner. Hmm. One so I've got a problem with the police. Well, you should go talk to the police. You should go talk to the cops, that. yeah. Alex Fatali, an associate professor of sociology at Brooklyn College, said such contract measures, in effect, undermine the possibility of robust civilian review for the police. There hasn't been robust civilian review for our government in 200 years. (laughs) You could pass a law to recreate a civilian oversight commission, but that law can't supersede what's in the contract, said Fatali. They want to make clear what the process is and make sure they aren't there aren't independent investigations. The police think that no one understands what we do. It's all part of us against the world mentality that dominates police thinking. Canterbury said the FOP uh, rejects the idea of civilian review boards. Departments do much better reviews, review boards because civilians have no knowledge of law enforcement or expertise on procedures. He said police departments Mm -hmm. do a very good job on internal reviews. Plus we already have, External review processes like the local governments, prosecutors' offices, and grand juries. Black Lives Matter activists argue, however, that there are too many conflicts of interest for the police to impartially investigate their own members. Beyond the role of nepotism and cronyism continues to play in the corruption of law enforcement, there is an inherent distrust of the public's ability—excuse me—of the police's ability to keep communities safe," said Delane. Powerful, an organizer in the Black Youth Project. We cannot trust a system born out of slave patrols and night watches to conduct its own criminal investigations into unnecessary and unwarranted police force. Whatever. (laughs) Ron Hampton, a former director of the National Black Lives Association. I don't understand why I had to slay this all up with Black Lives Matter at the end. I don't really... I guess, I mean, I obviously think that Black... I love... That's a great name, by the way. I'm not against Black Lives Matter. Tie it all back to the Super Bowl. Okay. And Beyonce with the Black Panther throwback. And Beyonce given, and Jay Z given 1.5 million to Black Lives Matter. There you go. That's good. It's late. It's almost late, an hour later than usual over here. Yep. We got to wrap it up. So, without any further ado, we're going to wrap this show up. Please. Donate to the show. Donate to the Andrew Hoffman Medical Fund. We're we're part of the way there. We're ten percent of the way there. If we could get any more people out there to donate or pray for, uh, just that uh, the Hoffman household will be able to come up with the funds would be awesome. Um, if you feel the need, you feel the urge to donate, you feel led to donate, please do help uh, Andrew family pay their medical bills. And thank you to the people that and thank you very much already. to everyone that has. You know I, who you are. I appreciate your support, and I know the Hoffman family does as well. Andrew. Oh, no, you're going to ask me for words of wisdom, aren't you, Tim? Andrew Hoffman. Medical bill payer extraordinaire. Do you have any words of wisdom for us? You should always die for the fumble, Tim, <laughs> especially in the Super Bowl.
Dive for the fumble, especially if it's the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's a valid point. I mean, if you do get injured, you got nine months to recover. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I hope everyone out there has something happened to them this week that makes them as happy as my two-year-old daughter when she opens up the mailbox and there's a new Highlights magazine in it. <laughs> well, you could. I'll send her a much bore, more boring, but also much help, more helpful envelope sometime this week. So awesome. copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the contact tab or support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com. And thank you for your support of this podcast. Being American means watching the Super Bowl. No, Mommy cannot read you a book right now.